We've been working our way through the book of Nehemiah and we've been engaged in teaching through Nehemiah and we're coming to the end of this um, teaching in Nehemiah. Uh, Easter is now coming. Uh, Next weekend we'll be uh, preaching our Easter series starting with Jesus going into the temple the following Sunday which of course is spring break is Palm Sunday and then weirdly Easter's fall in the middle of spring break so then we'll have our Easter celebration and Easter services. So, so today is the last uh, sermon in the Nehemiah series, but I hope what it's giving you is a good idea of God's plan and God's structure in the way that he's worked this all through. It, it has amazed me that God, as we started this series right at the beginning, I spoke about how this is so important because it all started with Abraham and the Lord appearing to Abraham and saying, you're going to have a mighty nation that's going to bless the world. And then, of course, we have... Uh, the, the sons with um, and the story of Joseph and um, uh, and and as they went down to Egypt and of course how Moses led them out of Egypt and and in Egypt God said God said you know I'm going to rescue my people so God delivered the people and then with this amazing conversation on the mountain top. Where God said, it's really simple. Just work this out, will you? I'm your God, you're my people. You listen to me and, and serve me and I will greatly bless you. Got that clear? Good. But if you do not listen to me and you serve other idols and you put other things before me, things are going to go desperately wrong. And they did. And of course, we know that, that they went, they then rebelled and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And then they finally got the land that God had given them. And then, of course, they continued to, to vacillate, move from one position to another of serving God and loving God and then rebelling against God. And then we have the time where God finally gave them kings, gave them uh, Saul, and that ended up in disaster, gave them David and Solomon, then the whole nation split in half between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom and then it seesawed, it teeter-tottered between serving God well and serving God badly until finally the Assyrians took the northern kingdom of Israel away and then um, Judah continued to serve God, then rebel against God, then serve God and rebel against God and we're all very dizzy reading this until the Lord had said right back in the Torah, right back in Exodus, if you don't, if you don't serve me, you're going to end up in exile. And the Babylonians came and took them away, of course. But Jeremiah had prophesied that 70 years would pass and the rebuilding of Jerusalem would take place. Do you know, I want to remind you, you cannot stop the divine purposes and the plan of God. God is at work. And you can see this working and moving. And we went through the story of Nehemiah. That here a cupbearer, an ordinary man in an extraordinary situation. God gave him a divine opportunity to pray, to plan and to be appointed to go to 
uh, Jerusalem under a miraculous circumstances. And then he went and he rebuilt the walls. And in rebuilding the walls, he had to go through a process of, of affirming prayer, of affirming the centrality of scripture, of affirming the fact that whenever you're doing something for God or you're trying to push forward for God, there are always the critics, there are all those that come against you, there are all those that speak against you and try and stop you from making it. And of course, he had that. And the importance of confession and the importance of getting it right with God and dealing with our junk and walking in obedience. And finally, we get to chapter 12, which is a chapter of celebration. And I want to remind you that when God speaks a promise to you and you have that word and you see it, that God is not a liar, but God will fulfill his promise for your life. And sometimes we find that difficult to understand. Sometimes we lose track. But I want to encourage you through this sermon this morning that our lives, we have been given so much. God calls us to be a people of celebration. That we learn to celebrate. We learn to understand this. And the rebuilding of the wall was a sign that God had not finished with the Jewish nation. God had not finished with the world. And God had his redemptive plan. And we would rebuild the walls. And the walls would be rebuilt. And of course, walls can mean many different things to people. We, can, we understand that... Uh, that walls can be, you know, something that is positive and something that is incredibly negative. And here it's a unifying wall. It unified the people. But we're going to talk about celebration. And through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of the lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifice, God is pleased. If you want to please God, learn to praise him, be thankful, give praise to God, and be good to others. It's important that in our lives we celebrate and that we celebrate all that God has done. And of course, in our recent history, the most famous wall that came down was the uh, Berlin Wall that divided West Berlin from East Berlin on that day. Do you remember where you were in 1989 when you got the news? I do. I was in a Tim Hortons in Calgary. I know how to live life. And... Again, the wall, it's all changing. Things are happening. It's incredible. Wow. And, and we celebrate. And here they all are, young men from East Berlin and, and, and West Berlin. And, and what had been the zone, the death zone between that and what the Soviet Union had built a wall to stop the fascist liars from getting in. And in fact, three and a half million East Germans made their way out. And they were so annoyed at this that they built this hideous wall wall in 1961 of which Kennedy of course spoke about it and in that famous speech but this wall divided the wall that is being built around the city of Jerusalem united them in a common purpose and the purpose that God wanted to do in their lives and finally they look and they say we've built the wall God's achieved it we've done it so there was an instant call out to gather the people, because what they had to be willing to do is dedicate the wall. Dedication is really important. <clears throat> we dedicate our children. It's incredibly important. 
We dedicate our buildings. It is incredibly important. We dedicate the land that we serve God on. It's important. We dedicate our houses, our families, our lives. Why do we dedicate? Because everything we have been given is a blessing from God. And we want to celebrate that. Maybe you look at where you are in life and you've lost a sense of dedication and celebration of what God has done in your life. You've allowed the lies of consumerism to steal the joy from who you are and yet we are a people of dedication. We dedicate our lives and we dedicate our land. We dedicate all that we have. We dedicate our children because we believe that God is traveling with us as we rebuild the walls of our own lives. We walk in this journey. <clears throat> and at, so at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and where they brought to Jerusalem. This was great. To celebrate joyfully and, de- and a dedication with songs and thanksgiving. And with the music of cymbals and harps and lyres, the music... Musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages. They all gathered around. They were all brought together, the Levites and all those that were worshipping. The priests and the Levites and the musicians from the villages all around were to gather together and they were called to worship and they were going to create two great choirs and the choirs were going to go on the walls and they were going to march around the walls singing praise and glory to God because what was impossible is possible through God and through prayer and through scripture and suddenly there is a celebration and they gather them together it's important why were they so happy well they're blessed because once again Yahweh's name can be lifted up in Jerusalem they're blessed because once again as a people they can serve the Lord according to the scriptures in the way that God taught them they were blessed because they knew that Israel and Jerusalem was part of God's great plan and God had restored the walls. And they called them from the villages all around. They gathered them together. Now what you don't realize very often is when we think of Levites and we think of priests and the tribes that were the Levites and the priests and so on. Actually, they would serve two weeks a year in the temple and they would spend 50 weeks in the communities in their homes and it was like a rotation of priests and Levites that would rotate. And this is important for us to remind ourselves that for the Jewish culture, life was a continuous process of serving God where God had placed them. They served God and worshipped God by the way they tended their plowed fields. They served God and worshipped God by the way that they raised their vineyards. They served God and they worshipped God by the meals that they served with their children and their families as they cracked open scripture and talked about the great stories and the testimonies of God. You see, being a priest and a Levite wasn't as it was a sense of full-time activity. It was who they were and they lived it in the temple of creation as much as they lived it in the temple built in Jerusalem. 
And for every one of us, we've got to remind ourselves that celebration and worship is about where we are and what we do and the fields we work in and where God has placed us and learn to realize that we can celebrate and give thanks to our God in our family, in our work, in our different situations. We can celebrate the goodness of God. I know there's a lady that comes on Saturday evening congregation and, and uh, she drives a school bus, a big yellow school bus. And she's always got a beaming smile and she comes and, and is very encouraging and, and so on. And I remember seeing this lady uh, because she drives a school bus pretty much about the same time when I like to do my late afternoon jog around the uh, orchards. And it was, I'd be jogging up the hill and this, this glowing uh, school bus would be coming towards me and behind the wheel is this beaming face. And she's waving at me and I'm waving back and praying that she doesn't run me over. And... And I'm, it's wonderful. And I said to her one day, I said, you, you don't need to drive school bus, do you? She said, I don't, but I love it. Why? She said, well, when I get in this school bus, I dedicate this school bus to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And this becomes a place of God's glory, a place of God's presence. As the hundreds of kids get on board, as I run them around the city, this is how I bless. This is God's presence. It is just good. This is my little temple. You know, wouldn't it be amazing if we could do that? I was reminded of that because Gordon MacDonald, who's a prolific author, had the privilege of driving him around England for two weeks when I was a young man. And, and Gordon MacDonald, of course, had two years out of ministry where he drove school bus in New York while he was recalibrating his life after going through a very difficult time. And he wrote in his book, A Life That God Blesses, that even though he had this international world famous ministry, he now was driving school bus. But he decided that that school bus would be God's temple to his glory and he would be the best school bus driver he could ever be. See, that's the heart. That where God has placed you, friends, celebrate it. Celebrate what God has done in your life. Celebrate all the goodness that comes. And they celebrated together and they were willing to this. And they were joyful and celebrated and they were all brought together. You know, I really appreciate this, that we've got to build this into our families. I mean, I've got to celebrate today. You won't know the pressures I'm under today. Because in England, it's, it's Mother's Day. I know, weird, isn't it? But I've got to, I've got to uh, and my wife loves celebrations. I mean, as you know, my 50th birthday lasted for five years. It just kept going. <laughs> And I'm still dining out on that, you know. We love to celebrate. We love to celebration. We love celebrations. I had my party here and you all came to my house and we uh, celebrated for, for two and a half days and hour after hour and different 25 people turned up and it was wonderful and thank you. I've been dining out on that in my heart and also the uh, Starbucks cards. But... But we, we realize this, it's, it's a celebration. But I always remember the beauty of one day, a, a family in a church I pastored, 
their daughter reached 18 and, and they invited all their closest friends around and they had a lovely meal and then they encouraged everybody to come together that knew her from a little child and my wife had um, nannied for the family when they worked as missionaries in Portugal and we stood round and we all prayed blessings and celebrated the life of that young lady and all that God meant. It was It was wonderful. It was wonderful. Have you lost a sense of celebration in all that God has given you? Your family, your children, your life. As Christians, we're meant to be celebrative. We're meant to celebrate all that God has given us. You know, we're not meant to be long-faced, are we? There's that silly little story about the young girl that first, first time she ever met a mule. She climbed up onto the fence and she looked at this long-faced mule and she said, I don't know what you are. I've never seen you before, but I think you're a Christian. (laughs) Because you've got a face just like my grandpa. And... (laughs) But you know, God hasn't called us to be (laughs) long-faced. God has called us to celebrate each other, celebrate the landmarks in our lives. And here they celebrate because they rebuild the wall. They called them together and then they prepared. And when the priests and the Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, the walls, the buildings. They prayed. You know, one of my greatest blessings is to go to homes and pray blessing on homes. And pray for the land and pray for it. And you've got a sense in this scripture of them, all the choirs and them marching of, you know, of, of Abraham. God saying, walk around the land and claim it. You've got a sense of, of, of Joshua walking around the walls of Jericho. And now they're walking around these walls saying, we, we give it to God. We purify it. It's so important. Why is it so important? If you didn't hear my message on confession, please listen to that. And I'll, I'll touch on that a little bit. But because we need to remove anything that would stop us from hindering our, our connection and our relationship with God. And it's important. Ah, here he is. You love him, don't you? He's our hero for every good Canadian. You know who I'm talking about. You can see his facial features here. Um, Chris Hadfield, the famous... Incredible Superman, Canadian astronaut that captured the world. That had the most YouTube shares in the history of astronauts. Tweets. He sang that song with his guitar in space. Do you remember this? You know? Fantastic. There's a little story about Chris Hadfield. When he first did his first ever spacewalk, and he was meant to be out for six hours... They were mending one of the arms on the International Space Station. And something that had happened that had never happened to an astronaut before on a spacewalk. And he suddenly goes, I've got a problem. Houston. What's this problem? I can't see out of one eye. 
And at that moment, he got immense pain through one eye, and it was agonizing. And his eye started to stream, and the pain was intense in his eye. Now, that may sound, you know, we've all had watery eyes and pain in our eye. I know that because I use a lot of hot sauce, and occasionally I wipe my eye and just, ah. And he was having a Tabasco sauce moment. But he was thousands of miles above the earth, floating around. And the problem is, is that as your eye streams in space, it doesn't run down. The droplets all float around inside of here. And the problem is, we rub our eyes, but he can't rub his eye because he's got mitts on. And he can't do anything. And for 30 minutes, he had immense pain. And they're trying to work out what this could be. And he said, don't send me in, please. Not yet. Let me just see. And after about 30 minutes, the pain eased. He continued to work with one eye. And then after 30 minutes, he went on. They were like, wow, that was determination. You imagine having pain in the eye, not being able to touch it, and willing to keep going. What does that tell you? He's Canadian. And... (laughs) He was willing. When they looked at the issue and reworked it, they discovered, they said, what caused this? Every astronaut is responsible for cleaning this visor. If they don't clean it correctly and well, then obviously there's a problem. They can't see properly. But what happened was the fluid that they used to clean it is a chemical And for the first time, he cleaned it, but there was a little bit of chemical. Now, that may have happened many times, but this time, that little bit of chemical got in his eye and affected his sight because he hadn't prepared correctly. Now, this is not an issue of law, but it's an issue of relationship that we know that life affects us. And we always have to be willing... when we're doing something for God and celebrating, is to be able to clean the visors of our heart correctly so we can see clearly. You know how a little issue can create a big problem in your life. True? It does. That statement, that line that somebody just said by, well, and it so affected you, And it made you angry and frustrated. That little bit of chemical got in your eye. And we've got to be willing to make sure. And this is what they were doing. Another way of looking at it is, you know, it's where we look out. The dirt of our lives. The stuff we pick up. The problems we face. We purify ourselves to and come to the Lord and say, Lord, cleanse me. I know that I, it's by your grace. But clean the windows of my life so that I can see clearly out. I know how I can bless my wife. Particularly at spring break. I will clean all the windows in our house. And when she comes back, I did it last year. I do it more than that. But she goes, we stand there and go, whoa. And what do you say? I can't believe how dirty our windows were. Is that you? No. Um, and, and it's amazing because just life. But you see a filthy window 
affects our ability to see. And when we come to God, we just want to remove anything that affects us to see. And when we clean the windows of our heart and our life, we see clearly, beautifully. And the dirt goes away. And we see amazing. This is my view from my uh, window overlooking Rutland. And... um, No, not really. But, but you know, it's a difference between seeing really clearly. They purified themselves so they could see clearly. And when you see clearly, boy, do you celebrate. Because when you see clearly, what do you see? When you see clearly, you see Jesus. You see his heart. His mind, his life. You see Jesus at work. And you know that he makes such a difference in our lives. They were called to lead. They got, and, and had the leaders of Judah go up to the top of the wall. And they, uh, they assigned them. And what, this really interests me. It's the same leaders that thought it was beneath them to rebuild the wall. It was the same leaders that they had to call to repentance because they were, they were abusing and using their own people and mortgaging their farms. The same princes of Judah now were on the wall leading the praise and realizing that those egotistical, self-righteous, I'm above others, this isn't the right way to do it. It's not the best way to live one's life. The best way to live one's life is humbly before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, it may have appeared to be unimpressive to the rest of the world, a bunch of Israelites with horns and waving things and going on their little, little city. You know, Persia has the most famous parades. And Nehemiah would have seen the great Persian parades. But you know, what is unimpressive to the world is impressive to God. See, people may look at the church and say, well, that's not very impressive. But let me believe you, tell you, that what Christ can do in your life is so incredible. First ever Christian I ever met, I was 14. My mom sent me down to the laundromat to do some washing for her because our washer had broken down. And I went there and I sat there with our lodger. And we sat there, and uh, she was a student, and we sat there. And a, a little old lady sat next to us, and she said, do you believe in Jesus? And we're like, whoa. And she started telling us, and my lodger was chatting away to her a little bit, and I was, and she was a very unimpressive lady, actually, in some respects. She seemed a little religious. She said, she, she whispered, she said, you two need to be born again. And here's a Bible, a little track, take it away and read it. And I will pray for you every day of the next six months that you become a Christian. Very unimpressive. I walked out, teenager, lit up a cigarette, took that booklet, dropped it in the garbage and walked on. And one year later, 
the power of the Holy Spirit fell on me and I gave my life to Jesus. Unimpressive, but impressive. And you know, it may be that it, you, we may feel like a church and that people were unimpressive and we're like, the world looks like a church is irrelevant. Let me tell you, church is the hope of this nation. And that is important. And they're dedicating, they're celebrating, they're giving God all the glory. And even the self-righteous, snobby leaders have been converted and repented. And now they're on the wall celebrating. And I'm just amazed at this. It just humbles me. You see, service of Jesus, there's nothing beneath us. So you might go, well, you know, volunteering at kids' camp for Easter week, Monday through to Thursday, it's a bit beneath me. What it, but to God, that is something impressive. When you work in the creche with the smallest children in this church, that's impressive to God. And maybe this coming Easter, for Easter week, Monday through to Thursday, you'll give up a couple of hours of Holy Week and you'll serve all the children in this community. They're going to rush into this church, hundreds of them. And people may say, well, that's not very impressive. A bunch of kids screaming and God goes, that is impressive. That's not beneath me. That is glorious. That is glorious. And finally... They give thanks. And on that day, they offered great sacrifice, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. They were going for it. They were having the greatest parade ever. They were going for it. This is a, a parade of Apollo 11 when they uh, returned and the great through New York, it was a great parade that took place. And look at the tail. Look at the streamers. Look at all of this. It's just a wonderful, a wonderful celebration because they'd all that had been achieved. They'd, of course, gone into space and done all of this, all that had been achieved. But let me tell you something. Every day of our lives, were you determined to have a parade of celebration, giving thanks to God for all that God has given you? We in the Western church are the most, most prosperous 3% of the whole world. And in Canada, we are, we are so blessed. And yet we can be long-faced. And yet we can lose our heart of celebration. And yet we have been taken from darkness and put into wonderful light. And yet we have been forgiven. And God's love is with us. Our families, our homes, all that we have. And yet it's so easy for us to lose, lose any sense of thankfulness. God calls us to be thankful. And in your heart, let every day be a day like this for Jesus. For what he's done for you. Are you irritated with your husband or your wife? I know, it happens. Oh yes. And sometimes when I'm irritated with life, I sit down and I start to journal and I write all the things that I'm thankful for. And I thank God. And you know, it changes my attitude about everything. Because I realize how truly blessed I am. 
even with the hassle. I'm blessed. You're blessed. We're all blessed. And they've rebuilt Jerusalem. And one the way of getting through the winter blues in Kelowna when we're all socked in and everybody's, ah, I need Mexico. <laughs> I need Hawaii. I've got this problem. And we live in this tension of disappointment and pain and problems and this tension of celebration and all that God has given us. You will live in that tension to one day. They rebuilt Jerusalem. And let me give you a random thought. And for those of you who aren't Christians, this may seem really strange. But the end of time, the Bible teaches this. That there will be a new Jerusalem. In other words, God's city will come and reside on earth. It's a massive city, it says in Revelations 21. It's actually 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles high, wide. It's this cube of glorious, glorious light with 12 beautiful gates and walls. And the gates are made of perfect pearl whole pearls, and it's lined with precious stones of jade and, and glory of God is present. And we are all invited to come into God's great city. It's massive. Actually, it's the same size of from Vancouver, the wall is, to Winnipeg. I worked it out yesterday. 1,400 miles. In fact, Winnipeg is 1,400 miles and 26 miles away. So it's a bit farther. What does that tell you? It tells you that Winnipeg is truly God's chosen city. But, (laughs) But it tells you that what we have here is small and times... And we look at the little city, we look at our lives, but we are part of a glorious future. Part of a glorious future. So live well now and eternity. And maybe you've never come into the gates of the Lord. Maybe you've never come into his city. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're not even right with God. Maybe you want that deep sense of celebration for all that God has done in your life. Let's pray. When I was 15, I prayed a prayer. And the prayer went a little bit like this, and you may want to pray it this morning because you realize that you want to get right with God. Whatever words you use, God will hear your prayer. But I prayed this prayer, and it's a great way of preparing for communion. I said to the Lord Jesus in that church, Dear Lord Jesus, 
I've lived my life without you. And I'm sorry. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Maybe even now, you've got burdens and shame and guilt that is dogging you. Just ask his forgiveness now. I had a whole list of things that I named before him in that little prayer. And I'm sorry, Lord. And I choose this morning to make you Lord. And I choose to invite you in as my Savior. As you gave yourself me on the cross, I give myself to you. I want to be right with God. As every head's bowed and we're pausing for a moment, this morning you have chosen to get right with God. And if that's you, I'd love to just pray for you before communion. But if that's you, just slip your hand up and say, this morning, Pastor Phil, I'm just getting right with God. I pray that prayer. Just slip your hand up. God bless you. God bless. God bless you, sir. Up in the balcony. Slip your hand. Lord, I pray for these that you're calling, who are getting right with God. And I ask that you come close to them as we break bread, Lord Jesus.